Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And we're going to be studying about a very, very faithful young man, Daniel, today. But again, it is required that we be faithful. Father, again, we thank you for the examples found in Scripture, especially the example of Daniel and his friends. Thank you that with his life we see consistency and we do see faithfulness. And yet we know that he was faithful because you were faithful to him and and sustained him through those 70 years of service in that wicked nation of Babylon and also Persia. Father, again, we thank you that that same hope can be ours, that we can truly walk with you, that as we have put our faith and trust in you, your spirit has come into our lives, that he guides us. And the scripture says we are told to walk with him, to be empowered by him. And Lord, give us that hope. Give us that confidence that indeed we can walk with you consistently. We look around and we see many people who are walking inconsistent. They say they're believers, and yet they seem to keep falling. Lord, we're not perfect, but thank you that we have an example in Daniel's life of of consistency. And I pray that as we look at his life now, that you would challenge our hearts on how we need to change and even get rid of some of the excuses that we use of saying why we aren't consistent. Father, just give us wisdom, help us to walk in a a way that's uh, honoring to you so that we could truly glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings for a few moments. And then the book of Daniel, 2 Kings 22 and Daniel chapter 1. There's a famous story of the flying Scotsman, they called him. His name, his name was Eric Liddell. He trained for, tra- uh, for track. He was supposed to run the 100-meter race of the Olympics of 1924. Sports writers all over the country predicted that Liddell would win. The only problem was the race, the final race, was going to be held on Sunday, the Lord's Day. That proposed a problem for Eric, because he believed that he would not honor God by running in the contest on the Lord's Day. Boy, haven't we come far nowadays. His fans were stunned by his refusal to run. I mean, he said, I will not run on the Lord's Day. Some who had praised him now called him a fool. By the way, if you keep your eyes on people, you will be discouraged. They will let you down. But Eric stood firm. Suddenly, a runner dropped out of the 400-meter race, which was scheduled on the weekday. Eric offered to fill the slot, even though this was four times as long as the race he had trained for. He had trained for 100, now he's running the 400 meter. When the race was run, Eric Liddell set a record, 47.6 seconds as the winner. God honored his non-compromising spirit as he was given a gold medal. Later, now I want, this is what's real, this is really the most important part of his life. We always, you know, think about his running. Later, Eric Liddell went to China as a missionary where in 1945 he died in a war camp. See, his heart was fully committed to Jesus Christ. We find a man in the scriptures with that same type of commitment, and that's Daniel. And again, if you'd like to turn to Daniel chapter 1, if you haven't already turned there, 
Again, you might say, well, where is that? Well, he's one of the Old, Old Testament prophets, one of the major prophets. You can find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. If you're around at all there, Ezekiel, then the next one is Daniel. So you kinda, he's the last of the five major prophets, major books. And it says in uh, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now my purpose this morning is to really give an overview of Daniel chapter 1. We've actually taken three other messages and broke it down. We looked at verses 1 to 2, we looked at 3 to 8, we looked at 9 to 16. But But that was actually back... We did it in June. We did the last message last week. But I want to bring it all together, okay? And I really only have a short amount of time. So we just have to kind of think through this. But I want to hit, first of all, this man Jehoiakim. We ended with him last week. I want to make sure we understand because it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 22, we, I need to set the stage, okay? Set the context. Actually, if you go to verse 21, we find Manasseh, a very wicked, ungodly king, and he reigned for, it says, 55 years, verse 1. 2 Kings 21, 1. So he reigned a long time, 55 years, half a century. Very wicked, very wicked. In fact, as God judges Judah, he refers back to this king and said, because of his wickedness, and this would have been almost a 100 years later, because of his wickedness, you're going to go into captivity. He was so wicked, and you allowed such a wicked king. And then his son took the throne, Amnon. He, he reigned for, I believe it was two years, yep, in verse 19. And then he dies. And at both times it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But then came the time that Josiah reigned. One of the godliest kings, one of the greatest revivals that Judah had, and it just happened just before the Babylonian captivity. And you see this in chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old. Just a very young boy because his father had died. And again, because he was the son, he took the throne. He took the throne with an attitude of different than his grandfather Manasseh and and uh, Amnon and said, I want to serve the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And look at verse 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. And basically this is what? But it's the 18th year. So 8 and 18 is what? 26. He's 26 years old. He's not that old. But he decides to fix up the temple. He basically says, bring the money in. Give it to the people who are fixing up the temple. Don't even worry about even keeping track of it. They'll be honest because they're, they're, they're working for the Lord. But in the process of dealing with the temple, they find the scroll. They find the book of the law. Can you imagine how it had been lost? And basically, Josiah reads the book. It says that he, he was tender and humbled himself, verse 19 of 20, chapter 22, verse 19. He, he was tender, he humbled himself. It says he tore his clothes, he wept. Verse 19, he wept. You know, he was contrite. He had a humble heart. He wanted to serve God. He had the people read it. And then they covenant, covenant together that they were going to obey God. And basically because of that, the, uh, the Lord said this in verse 20, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. In other words, because you have turned, I will have, I will, I will take, I will have judgment on Judah, but not in your reign. 
And there was this great time of peace. And God was blessing. It says he uh, reigned for 31 years. So that means he died when he was 39. So he wasn't that old. But he, he turned Judah from imminent judgment at that point to... That was the, one of the, the best times as far as of, of, of Judah repenting. Unfortunately, now, now think about this. Grandfather wicked, father wicked, Josiah, righteous. Surely his son is going to follow. Nope, verse 31, chapter 23, verse 31, Jehoiaz. He was 23 years old when he became king, reigned three months in Jerusalem, but what it said of him is he did evil in the sight of the Lord. (laughs) Just because you have a godly father doesn't make you godly. He dies. Jehoiakim is actually a brother, verse 35. So Jehoiakim gave, excuse me, um, verse 34, then Pharaoh... Necho made Elikim the son of Josiah, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and he changed his name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Okay, so that's the Jehoiakim of here. He was also wicked. He let Pharaoh change his name. When, when, When a ruler would change the name of a subject, it meant that he had ultimate rule over that subject. You see it with Nebuchadnezzar, you see it with the pharaohs. They would change a person's name, saying, listen, I'm your God, I'm the one that's calling the shots, not not Jehovah. The point is, is this, Josiah was a very godly king in between ungodly kings before him and after him. The other important part is this, because Daniel, it says in verse 3, was a very young man, or verse 4, excuse me, young men, it meant that Daniel grew up during the reign of Josiah. Remember, his, Josiah's son only reigned for a very short time, a few months, and then Jehoiakim. But for the most part of, jo, jo, uh, of Daniel's life, he grew up under a godly king, Josiah. Now that's very, very important because I believe this, that the input that Daniel had to have him be such a solid Old Testament saint for 70 years in Babylon, Babylon captivity came because he was under God, godly tutelage. Not only that, but he also saw the godly King Josiah. He had what many of us hope that our own children have. We have, and that is, he had guts, spiritual guts. He had conviction. He had consistency. Daniel was a man of uncompromising uh, convictions. And what I want to do today is just, again, we're going to go very quickly, and I say quickly, we're going to try to go quickly through a few points that we've already looked at in some way, but we're going to just kind of build on them. And the first major point is this, how do you remain faithful to God? And then the second point is, what were the results because he did remain faithful to God? Well, the first one is, how do you remain faithful to God? Again, we start off in verses 3 to 8. The first is this, don't make excuses because of your age. Age. Again, it says in verse 4, they were young men. Young men. The estimate is they were between 14 and 17. Let's split the difference. Let's say they're 15 and a half, 16 years old. Now, what's happened to them? Well, it says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, verse 3, instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, and they brought them from Jerusalem to Babylon, 600 plus miles away. 
And the key is this. Daniel didn't let his age stop him from doing what was right. Even though he was away from home, he was away from his parents. We don't know if his parents died. We don't even know who actually uh, trained Daniel. All we know is this. He is a young man. He has taken from his home, the security of his home, uh, where everyone agreed with what he believed as far as the religion, and he was transported to an ungodly uh, palace of Babylon, and yet we find that he stays very consistent. And I would just like to say this, when it comes to young people, thank you. (laughs) If you are a parent who is seeking to raise your young person, your 12, 14, well, let's even go from 6, 12, 14, teenager, college age student, and you want to see them grow up in the, in the Lord, and you, have, and you have invested time and energy into that, thank you. By the way, that's one of the reasons we want to also, I, I couldn't wear this, it was too tight <laughs> with everything else. But why do we want to do a crew ministry? Why do we want to do a college ministry? We want to have impact on kids' lives. By the way, Daniel would have actually been younger than the average college kid. By the way, that says something too. Sometimes I think we get to the, at certain points, and, and maybe as parents, um, how do I want to say this? By the time this, the student is around 19 to 20, I hope they can stand on their own. Isn't that how it should be? I hope they can stand on their own far spiritually. That's the great example of Daniel. He's only 15, 16 years old, and he is actually standing on his own with his friends. But again, uh, crew, I could have brought up just as easy an Olympian shirt or an epic shirt. The point is, is this. We need to make sure we're spending time training our kids. We only have a short window of time. I also want to thank not only the parents, but this church. <laughs> And if you're involved in a ministry where you are teaching kids, maybe they're the little guys. (laughs) Maybe they are the epic. Maybe they're the 7th through 12th graders. And maybe right at this moment you're saying, man, I don't know if it's worth it. I've been doing it for 15 years and I'm getting tired. Don't. Don't. If that's what God has really placed on your heart, it is difficult at times. Invest the time. Daniel is a great example of a, of a young person who was ripped from his home, taken to a foreign land, foreign gods, foreign everything, and he still remains faithful. Don't let your age be an excuse. Number two, don't become bitter because of your circumstances. Again, he is ripped out of where, he was no, where it was normal, you know, where it was comfortable. But he never lets bitterness be, cause him... Bitterness because of his circumstances caused him to to shake his fist at God. Again, have you found even yourself doing that? Sometimes life goes along smooth and praise the Lord, isn't he good? And then we get a, it gets a little bit rocky. It gets a little bit hard or maybe very hard or very, very hard. And there's sometimes we almost think, well, is God good? I remember what pastor, when he went through a very deep, deep trial, he actually said that to his wife. I'm not sure if God is good anymore. By the way, God is good regardless of our circumstance, right? Whether our circumstances happen to be good or bad or easy or hard, God is consistent, right? By the way, some of you who have gone through very hard circumstances need to come along, some of us who haven't, and when we go through really hard, reach out to us and say, listen, even in my midst, there was a time like this, but God proved faithful, right? What we sang, great is his faithfulness. So even though Daniel and his friends are taken to a foreign land, he doesn't have this attitude. 
I'll serve if everything is going my way. See, Daniel's attitude was this. I'll grow and serve the Lord. I'll grow in my Christian life and I'll serve the Lord where I'm planted. (laughs) Where are you planted? Or say it this way. What hard circumstances in your life may make you want to shake your fist? But now God is saying, wait a second. Wait. I'm putting you there so you can grow. And if you get bitter and angry at me, which that's the ultimately the source of our anger is at God, then, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to be able to take advantage of all that I have for you in this very difficult circumstance. So again, Daniel's his motto was, I'll grow wherever the Lord plants me. Okay, Wherever I happen to be, the Lord has a plan. The Lord gives me the strength, I'm going to go forward. Although with Daniel thinking since it's since his age is around, you know, like I said, fifteen to seventeen, eighteen, I mean it's such a good illustration of college kids. And I look around a lot of the college kids, some of the college kids from Alfred State, Alfred University are here, but so many of our kids are gone to other colleges. And the question is, are they going to stay true to what they know and what they've been taught and what they have professed as far as Christ? And you really don't know. I mean, you do know because when you change location and when you change circumstances, then you, then you really know whether or not you're really committed to Christ if you, if you hold to, true to your convictions, right? Again, the genuineness of your faith or the lack of it will be proved when you're on your own. When no one else is looking over your shoulders, when your parents aren't there to reprimand you, when nobody else is there looking over your shoulders, how do you respond? Because that shows your true conviction. Number three, don't give in to small compromises. Small compromises. Verse five, it says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of of the king's delicacies. And as we talked before, uh, this would have been a violation of Daniel's conscience against actually the word of God because the king's delicacies, well, it would have included pork. (laughs) Now think about that to a Jewish person. No, you can't, no. I mean, that would have been a violation of the Old Testament law. Not only that, but usually the food was sacrificed to a pagan god before it was ever brought to Daniel. So because of that, Daniel said this, I'm not going to get bitter over you taking me out of my land, out of, you know, the God-given Abraham, Israel, and the chosen land, and the Israelite people, that's their land. You're ripping me out of that, you're... You're going to find in a moment you change, you're going to change my name. You're going to send me to a different school. Those things I will deal with. Why? Because you can't change my heart. But when it comes to the obedience to the Word of God, I, no, you're going to find in a moment, he says no. He says no. You know, compromise. Uh, John MacArthur had a, a list of, thi- of people who compromised. Just, and, and sometimes it almost looks very small, but let me read some of these for you. A- Adam compromised God's law, followed his wife's sin, and lost paradise. Just a compromise. One bite. Abraham compromised truth, lied about Sarah, and nearly lost his wife. Just a lie. It was just a little lie. It was actually a half-truth. She was half-sister. Sarah compromised God's word, sent Abraham to Hagar, who bore Ishmael, and lost peace in the Middle East. Just a little. I'm saying this because, you know what, we all have these moments, and there are a lot of times, quite often, where it's a fork in the road, and we have to decide, are we going to do it God's way or not? And sometimes we think we can veer a little bit and then get right back on the path. Small compromises lead to 
major downfalls. Esau compromised for a meal with Jacob and lost his birthright. Just a meal. It was just a meal. Saul compromised the divine word, kept the animals, and lost the royal seed. No longer through Saul, through David. Samson compromised righteous devotion as a Nazarite with Delilah and lost his strength, his eyes, and his life. Solomon compromised convictions, married foreign wives, and lost the United Kingdom because Solomon... He veered, I mean, literally the, the, the kingdom was torn. It was just a woman, well, actually for him, a lot of women. They're going to get you into problems, but no. Peter compromised his conviction about Christ, denied him and lost his joy. Later on, he compromised with the Judaizers, and he lost his liberty until Paul confronted him to his face. Ananias and Sapphira compromised their word about giving. They just lied. Lied to the Holy Spirit and lost their lives. See, we can't compromise in small things, or at least what appears to be a small thing. Now, for for Daniel, it wasn't a small thing. As you know the story, he ends up purposing, verse 8, in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. He wasn't going to take that, what looked like a small step. By the way, the king's delicacies, like I said, was from the king. He wanted these, to, these men to represent him. They would, that, would, that would be like filet mignon every day, like huge shrimp, like lobster tail. I mean, you get the picture? It's not like, I mean, he was going to just give out the spread for these boys every day because he wanted to give them their very best because they were representing him. And yet Daniel said, no, he purposed not to defile himself. It's, you could say it this way, progressive failure, small steps away. Look at your life. Have you been taking small steps away from what you know God wants you to do? Now again, this looked like a small step. It actually would have been a big one. It's actually a big one because it was a violation of God's word. But you know what? Sometimes we look at uh, uh, doing God, obeying God's word, and not doing obey, not obeying God's word as a small step. It was just a look. It was just a word. It was just an off-colored joke. It was just a half truth. I said. See, sometimes we like. Well, that's okay. But your conscience is violated. You know you went against what. Uh, the Word of God says, and yet you've stepped away. It was just a little touch, a little glance, a little drink. It was just a little embrace. It was just a little fill-in-the-blank. One of the characteristics of Daniel was he did not give in to small compromises. Or at least what appears to be small compromises. He was very, very direct You might say, but how can I live like this? Well, again, we're not talking just being religious. You know, this all starts, where does faithfulness really start? Faithfulness to God starts when we first of all recognize who we really are before Jesus Christ and before God the Father. And that is condemned sinners. In fact, I very much appreciated Don's um, devotional uh, during ABF. 
We, we have a major deficit before the, the holy God, right? And God calls us sinners, all our sinners. And when we recognize that we are a sinner, we cannot please God, that our righteousness is, our, is, is filthy rags, and yet then recognize that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, His Son, His only Son, the perfect Son. The perfect Son walked on this earth with perfect obedience before the Father and went to the cross in obedience to the Father's will, sacrificed Himself or allowed Himself to be a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And as... And as people who are in desperate need of forgiveness, in desperate need of righteousness, we turn and look to the cross, look to what Christ did for us on the cross, receive what he did for us on the cross. The Bible says that those who believe in him can become children of God. It says that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are brought into the family of God. And that's the starting point. In other words, we're not talking about works-based righteousness to become, I mean, as far as faithfulness. Daniel, I believe, absolutely was a, an Old Testament believer in Jehovah, right? He had a relationship with God, and therefore God was empowering him. And so we also have to think that way as far as what, is, what does God want us to first do? He wants us to receive the sacrifice of his son. And then he says this, that when you receive my son, I'm, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He comes into our lives, and he empowers us to be faithful. In other words, if I'm faithful, if you are faithful as a Christian, you know why you're faithful? Because God is faithful. We've got to get away from this idea of I'm going to try harder. I've done that before, by the way. That's pure legalism. What do you mean you're going to try harder? Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to be your helper. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to fill you and control you, Ephesians 5. Again, I, I like what Don said. We forget one key verse. John 15, where Jesus said, talking about the vine and branches, without me, you can do what? A little bit? Some? Nothing. <laughs> and that's Daniel. That's Daniel. Daniel knew that he had to walk with God at every moment. And that's why he could choose, he could make righteous choices, even when it looked like a small compromise, he determined in his heart that he would not violate himself. Number four, don't become detached from your God. Uh, if you look at verse six, it talks about how Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the, Daniel and the three boys, his friends, they changed their names. You see that in verse seven. It, but basically the name change was trying to get them to, to follow a different God. Like Daniel's name was Belteshazzar. Literally means Bel, which was the idol, protect the king. In other words, they were trying to, this is what they were trying to do. In other words, don't love Jehovah, don't love your God, love our God. Depend on our God. Put your hope in our gods. That's what they were trying to do. Worship our gods. Fit into our culture. Don't stand out. Think like we do. Act like we do. That's, by the way, what the, the world does all the time, trying to get you to think like them. And when you don't, what are you, radical? What are you, fanatical? What are you, religious? But again, if we're, if we're going to stay faithful to God, don't become, don't become detached. You are first and foremost a citizen, not of the United States. That's pro we're probably going to go down. We are first and foremost what? Citizen of heaven. Heaven. Jesus is our king. He is our Savior. See, the Babylonians could change their names, 
but they could not change their hearts. And that's why verse 8, actually he brings it up. But Daniel purposed in his heart, which is the final point, and that is don't lose sight of the real battle. The battle is not fought on the external. If I'm going to remain faithful to God, the battle is really about where my heart is, where my allegiances are in my heart. The reason some people have a hard time walking with God is because their heart is not in allegiance to Him. Oh, they look good. They look religious. But their allegiance is to people and fearing people or wealth or you know how people look at me or pressure and all this other stuff. But their allegiance from the heart is not really towards God. So the real battle is in the heart. That's why Proverbs says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Guard your heart. To love God and live a holy and committed life before Him means I understand that I'm not just a passive victim. I'm not passive, I'm active. <laughs> My heart is active and, and it yearns to please someone or something. And it, I, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm disciplining it with the Word of God so it's wanting to please God. Daniel wanted to please God. Actually, I just said that was the last point. Actually, the last point is this. And don't wait to make up your mind about it. Because it says he purposed. And the idea of purpose means do it ahead of time. It wasn't when he said, I'm not going to defile myself, that he won the battle. The battle was won when he determined in his heart. He determined ahead of time. You see this over and over again in Scripture. But the word determined or purpose or made up his mind or the New American resolved means to place. Something was placed in his heart. He placed in his heart obedience and, and desire and love and worship for, the, for Jehovah. He, and you know, you say, well, where was that placed in his heart? I bet you that was placed way back in Jerusalem. I bet, when he was four years old and five years old, and I don't know if it was his parents, grandparents, or maybe the, the priest, but he was, they were pouring into his heart and he was becoming more and more uh, loving Jehovah, and then when he had to come to the decision, the default was, I want to please him. That's why we don't have to tell our kids all the different steps. Sometimes we fall into legalism. Do this and don't do this. No, just get them to love Jesus. Get them to want to worship God and walk with him. Then they'll make up their mind. See, their, his parents didn't tell him, now listen, in a few years from now, you're going to stand before a king, he's going to ask you to eat some meat, and you say no. But he loved Jehovah. So he had made up his mind ahead of time. And as he was going on the 600-mile journey, I'm sure he was making up his mind there. He purposed that he was not going to defile himself. It's like Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a woman? Here's Job saying, I'm not going to lust. Or Joshua who says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. I made up my mind. We're going to serve the Lord. I don't know about you guys. We're going to serve the Lord. This is a great time of year, isn't it? Kids going back to school, that's good. You know, new changes. Have you made up your mind how you're going to serve Him? Have you made up your mind that you're going to get into God's Word and lead your kids uh, towards knowing God? Are you going to spend that time? Or are you just going to get caught in the hurriedness and the chaoticness and you're going to lose time and the busyness of life is, is just going to squeeze out the, all the potential and possible possibilities that you have of training your kids and even training yourself. So you've got to make up your mind that you're going to walk with God. 
You've got to make up your mind where you're going to be or not going to be or going to want or not want or going to do or not do or going to say and not say or going to go and not go, whatever. But the point is, life is full of choices. By the way, because he was pure up to this point, you know, let me say this. You know, when it comes to Daniel, there's only like three guys in Scripture that, that you don't see any uh, fault with. Jonathan, he just Jonathan, David's son. You don't see any fault with Joseph. Talking about Joseph of the Old Testament. And Daniel. And, and, by the way, and because they are focused, these are men who are focused, it seems like they have an unnatural confidence. See, purity brings confidence. In other words, at this point, he has to make up his mind. Look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And basically the story to verse 16 is this. He asked the eunuch, hey, listen, could you just test us with vegetables? And then they were tested, found to be uh, better than the rest, and then were given vegetables during their whole training time. But notice the boldness. And notice how he doesn't, you know, uh, in an ungodly way, not submit. He submits with confidence. I think of some passages in Scripture. The righteous are as bold as a lion. If you walk righteously, you can be as bold as a lion. It says in Proverbs, In the fear of the Lord there is great confidence. If God be for us, who could be against us? This is the point. If you, if you play a double life, and always wonder who's going to find out, and secrets that nobody else knows about, and, you know, what if? You are not going to be bold and confident. But if you live a pure life, a holy life, one that is, is, is pure before man, but more importantly before God, you will have an uncanny, un, uncommon boldness, a confidence. And that's what you see in these men. They didn't have anything to hide. They were walking with God. They were being filled by His Spirit. I wish I did have another hour, but we don't. But let's look at four things. The results. Now, okay. And you'll say, boy... I, yeah, you just took a long time to review. I wanted to because this, this sets the entire book. But look at the results, verses 17 to 21. Look at the results. What happens because they remain faithful? By the way, if he had said, give me the meat, <laughs> give, me the, give me the pork, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, you wouldn't have verses 17 and 21. 17 and 21, which are the results of a holy life, are based on the fact that, they li- that he lived a holy life. What are the results? Well, the first one is that he had spiritual understanding, or they did. As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And then he, they specify, and he looks at Daniel, and he says, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So apparently, even with this, Daniel, and by the way, it looks, the way it's, it's uh, written, Daniel is the leader of the leaders. He stands about, and you say, well, he's writing the book. When he, well, remember, he's writing the book according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Daniel stands up, and I think this is how it really happened. I'm sure that the three boys, along with him, at times maybe get weak knees. And Daniel was the type that said, no, I, this is what I'm going to do. Whether you do it or not, this is where I'm going. I'm going to follow Jehovah. And so wisdom was given. 
Now it says that they had wisdom, verse 4, before the whole process. But this is wisdom that God gave. And you know, when you, when you use the word wisdom and knowledge, the, the question just immediately comes out, how much value do you place on growing in God's wisdom? How much value do you place in God's, to have God's wisdom? Proverbs says this, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. You've got to look at your life. Are you putting time aside? Because we know that wisdom is found in this book. Colossians says that it's found in Christ. That's the source. It's in the Trinity. In fact, here even it says, God gave them. And I have a whole message on just that. But for now, just remember, God gave them. And you say, well, you mean, can I just pray and get wisdom? Well, no, the Word of God is very clear that we must search for it. In fact, over in Proverbs chapter 2, he even tells us how we should, how should we approach wisdom? How should we approach the Word of God? Let me just read it for you, the first few verses. It says, My son, if you receive my words and tread... Now, catch catch these verbs. Receive. In other words, when you get it, you're willing to receive it versus reject it. And treasure my commands. Treasure. How many of you have a treasure? I bet you if you get a ring from a guy someday, you as a lady is going to treasure that. You know? That's how we should treasure the Word of God. So that you incline your ear to wisdom, you apply your heart to understanding. Apply. How many people read and don't apply? In fact, many times I think we read and judge. I don't think that's for me. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, seek and search. I tell you the story of when my kids were younger, I would, I would hide money. And then have them search for it, you know, just a little bit. Now, if I told you, hey, there's a $50 bill out there, you'd go, I bet you you guys would even be searching for it, like high and low. But that's how we should see. It's not just like going, okay, let me see, uh, let me, where should I read? Oh, let's read over here. Okay, Uh, that, that was boring, didn't do me anything. That's not how we're told to get in the Word of God. We're supposed to search it like hidden treasure, Verse 5, if you do those things, if you receive a treasure and incline your heart, apply, if you cry out, if you lift up, if you seek, if you search, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's when Those are the people that find God. Those are the people who understand and, and gain knowledge and wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, see, that's, that's the pursuit of, As Daniel was faithful, I believe this, as Daniel was faithful, he continued to be in the Old Testament Scriptures. See, it's not like all he had was just the Babylonian um, mentality. I I actually think he had uh, some portions of the, the book of the law. So again, God gave, and he had great understanding. How about number two? He had royal elevation. Nebuchadnezzar uh, basically gives them the uh, end of the year exam, oral exam. He interviewed them, verse 19. And what does it say? He, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers. So they were elevated. What's the result of faithfulness? You're elevated. What do you mean elevated? 
I mean, you're going to become the CEO of the company? No. You're elevated to be able to, to serve God effectively. Some people are faithful to God. You know what happens to them? They die. We call, we call them martyrs. They die physically. But, what, but the point is here, God had a different purpose for these four guys, and they were able to serve in the king's court. But the point is this. As we are faithful, we are given responsibilities to represent the true king. It's a platform for ministry. What if he had been unfaithful? He wouldn't have been able to represent God. He wouldn't have been able to uh, write the book. So royal elevation. Number three, personal continuation. Look at verse 21. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That's longevity. Because between Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, verse 1, that's 605. By the time you get to verse 21, that's really the whole book. What he's done in chapter 1, this is why I want to do the whole chapter, is he's just gone through the entire book and he says, listen, he, he became a captive under Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon was in, in control. But he continued on till Cyrus, which is a different empire completely, Persia, destroyed Babylon. From Babylon, 605, this is 536, this is 70 years later. So he stretches across the entire thing and says, listen, Daniel was faithful to me. He was elevated to the king's court. And he continued to serve throughout Nebuchadnezzar 1, or Nebuchadnezzar 2, actually, in history. Nebuchadnezzar 3, his son, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, no T. And then Cyrus. It's kind of like this. Kings come and go. Daniel remained. Why? Because he, he wanted wisdom. See, your wealth is going to come and go. Your relationships are going to come and go. question is, are you faithful to God? That's really the big picture here. All the things we work for so hard come and go unless it's for God. It's required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. And so the last one, and I didn't even put it on your outline, but I got to thinking about it. The last one is that he had ongoing influence. Empires came and gone, Daniel remained. Kings came and gone, Daniel remained. Not only that, Daniel died, and I think his influence remained. One author said it this way. Daniel served in his influential position for 70 years during the entire Babylonian captivity. His integrity and uncompromising character had far-reaching results. For when I see the wise men coming from the east, I think of the impact Daniel's theology must have had upon the Chaldean astrology. God gave him the influence that I believe led to the decree of Cyrus. You go over to Ezra chapter 1, it says in the first year of Cyrus... He, Cyrus, gives the command that the Jews can go back to Jerusalem. Who do you think, where do you think Ezra, uh, Cyrus got that info? Daniel was right there. Let me tell you, I've been here for three other Babylonian kings, and you think you're the king right now, but understand this, you're going to be off the page here pretty quick, Cyrus. You need to honor the king of kings. So he gave him influence that led to the rebuilding of the wall under Nehemiah and to the reestablishing of the nation of Israel. Influence that eventually led to the wise men to come to crown the king of, king, uh, king of kings who was born in Bethlehem. 
Daniel was behind the scenes of the history of the, of the Messiah as well as the Messiah's people. I think in Daniel's life you can see his influence way after he's dead and gone because the influence he had kept, kept having influence in that culture even to the time of Christ, the wise men from the East. Now that's an encouraging thought, isn't that? You only have 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. Live it for the Lord because you're passing a baton on. I don't know who, who uh, Daniel's parents were, but I know this. That young man was faithful because someone else had poured into, the, into his life. And then even after he's gone, that baton is still being passed. Daniel's gone, and we find 536 years later, the Messiah is born, and men from the east come. And I believe it had a direct re, uh, a correlation and influence because of Daniel's life. So input into other people's life. Seek to influence them. But again, if we're going to be an influencer, we've got to make sure that we're faithful. And if I'm going to be faithful, I need to be walking with God, holy before him, right? Isn't that a really great message? That I can have impact after you bury me. You can too. Let's stand as we sing to him. Kind of think of influence like a little acorn. You plant it, tree, oak, massive amount of seeds come from that, isn't it? Just from one. Now it takes a while for it to grow. It's not like a pine. You have to but once you, once you plant truth, it's like truth. I mean, once you plant it, it continues to grow. What's, what's really hard for us to, to, to do is to stop and to slow down and not to get involved in the busyness of life and all the things, all the voices that are calling you and all the options that you have and really say, you know, what is priority? What's going to last beyond me? And to actually spend the time planting those seeds. That's what's hard. And again, I think it takes commitment on your part. It takes the eyes of faith of saying, you know what, Lord, I want to do it your way. I want to be faithful to you so that those that I pass the baton to will see my example and obviously the Lord's example and they will be faithful and they will continue down that path. But just be faithful. Again, we're starting a new year in one sense. I know we're in the middle of the year, but new programs, new thoughts, new, a lot of new. But are you going to, are you be willing to commit yourself to saying, Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to be effective. I want to be faithful. I want to serve you and I want to plant those seeds. And I want to do it consistently, not in and out. And by November, I've kind of given up. No, Lord, I want to pass this baton on to the next generation. Father, again, we thank you for the, life of Daniel and his friends. I thank you for how he outlasted king after king and even uh, nations. Lord, you used him mightily. And yet, how he has been faithful to you, how he had been faithful to you, can also, Lord, we can be faithful to you. Lord, remind us of that as, as we walk with you, uh, you're in a, you are always faithful to us. You always give us uh, the power and the strength and the grace to do what is right. And Lord, help us to evaluate our lives. Help us to put as we're our hand to the plow to serve you. And as we do, Lord, may uh, you just give us even a small sense of all the fruit that is going to come from our individual lives. Father, give us strength and help us to glorify you so that we might walk with you and have impact for you. In Jesus' name, amen.